0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
1: From the author of the book by the same name, it's the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast with Mark McCrae.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to the latest Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast.
1: I'm Mark McCrae. And I'm Dan Clink, and today we're bringing you hip hop.
0: Mo, yo. Saturday morning. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's kind of interesting. Saturday morning has had a long, long history of taking popular music and rolling that music into a current Saturday morning uh, series. Oh, yeah. From bubblegum to R&B, rock and roll, and now hip hop. Yeah. So as a young person that was probably watching Saturday morning much longer than I should have, <laughs> uh, because I'm a fan and I'm obsessed, I was actually waiting for this moment of hip hop to show up on Saturday morning. You, you, you knew it was coming. It's gonna come right, yeah. and uh, hip hop had started off in the Bronx, and I am happy to say I was there for the origin of of hip hop being seated as a as a music genre, yeah, and uh, became a dominant cultural movement with new players like uh, Public Enemy. Yeah, I was big in Public Enemy as well as Two
1: Live Crew. Don't uh, don't tell any adults in my life from thirty years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Ice Tea. <laughs> You know, hip hop was certainly hitting me, and y- like you had said, you know, watching cartoons well past when you should have been. I had kind of mm-hmm. fallen out of Saturday morning at this point in my life, but mm-hmm. when it comes to some of the properties we're going to be talking about now, that kind of turned my head back towards Saturday morning.
0: Yeah, you know? same here, same here. I was really looking forward to seeing what that first hip hop cartoon was going to, to look like, right? Now, just a little precursor, you know, there was a lot of controversy also happening. Take in, us back, the- Mark. In the- <laughs> it's in the Wayback Machine.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, the,
1: and the screen gets all wavy, and we go back <laughs> to, to, to early 80s Bronx.
0: Right, right. So was a lot of controversy happening in, in the world of hip hop. In 1985, Tippy Gore co-founded the Parents Music Resource Center, which is uh, PMRC, which advocated for yeah. the labeling of record covers. Yeah. Uh, that parental featured, advisory right profane language and yep. and and this group like action for children's television pretty much was another way to censor creative people and their yep. music so the advisory happened but it didn't really slow anything down in terms of hip-hop
1: if anything it let the kids know that oh this is cool Mm-hmm. This is this is this is gonna be a cool, this is a good album. I don't think I owned anything that came out between nineteen ninety and ninety-five that didn't have a parental advisory warning on it. <laughs> a- except for maybe that one Atlantis Morissette album that was like it was almost like a government issue album. Like everybody got a copy in the mail. It was it was compulsory. Otherwise, yeah, man. That label let you know, okay, we're get, we're getting into some uh we're getting into some stuff right here.
0: Right. So by the early nineteen nineties, you and know. By stuff lot- I
1: mean the other word, but this is best Saturdays, so
0: <laughs> Yeah, let's keep it clean then. You it know, clean. PG, let's keep it keep clean. PG. PG PG thirteen at least. No
1: parental advisory on this, dude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so in the early nineties, you know, hip hop was is as popular as ever and things are bubbling. And on April fifteenth, nineteen ninety, in living color premieres on the Fox Network. And to my surprise, the dance sequence music is all hip hop. Yeah, and uh, so that that was like a really cool surprise. I just wasn't expecting that on a variety sketch comedy series. Oh
1: yeah, it's, it if 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 Saturday Night Live owed a lot of its style and uh, concept to rock and roll, then definitely In Living Color was was steeped in in hip hop sensibilities. And certainly for a a modern audience in that room. Right, right. It really can't be measured what a sensation that show was, what a game changer and cultural influence in Living Color brought to the entertainment landscape.
0: Right, exactly. I actually look forward to seeing the hip hop dance sequences and whatever rap artists the Fly Girls were dancing to. I look forward to that as much as I look forward to the comedy sketches.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Hell, uh, you know, that's where Jennifer Lopez got her start.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, the choreographer was uh, Rosie Perez. Oh, that's right. That's right. Good old Rosie Perez. You know, uh, to, uh, Ladies, uh, Jennifer was from the Bronx. Come on, Mookie. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so in the fall of 1990, Marvel Productions and Saban Productions, a co-production, created the Kid and Play cartoon. Which means Kid and Play are part of the Marvel Universe. Right, right. So... Um, We're waiting was... for
1: that movie. Waiting for that movie, Disney. <laughs> Kid and Play or Avengers.
0: I think. I think we just... We're saying here first, everyone. <laughs> so the first House Party movie came out in March of 1990. And this was probably part of Kid and Play's overall marketing plan right. to keep their names out there and relevant. Have the movie come out in March, you know, maybe release an album in between all of that. And then the Saturday morning show premiere in the fall of 1990, you know, oh, which yeah. if that was the plan, I think was a very smart business plan.
1: Well, you know, that's why we remember 1990 as the year of kid and play. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely.
1: We celebrate it every year in my home.
0: <laughs> you know, come to think about it, I think we did the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually might have some pictures somewhere. I, you know, maybe after the podcast, I'll take a <laughs> yeah, look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we'll pull out the slide projector. Yeah. We'll pull out the slide projector. And then Dan and I will display our pictures and celebrations on Facebook.
1: Yeah, everybody uh,
0: that's uh, Best Saturdays Podcast Facebook at, yeah. Right, right. And so um, Kid and Play actually appeared in the cartoon and live action sequences and wraparounds around the actual animation. But the cartoon itself, voice actors were hired to play Kid and Play. I guess maybe due to scheduling or maybe they just wanted other people to play Kid and Play. Uh the decision was made to hire actors to play their part.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, on one hand, time is money. These guys have videos to put out, mm-hmm. they have uh, house parties to film. And then you you also want to take these two, you know, professional musicians and teach them the nuances of voice acting. No. Right. No. You get get you get some seasoned actors in there who uh, who aren't kid and
0: play. I feel like the kid and play cartoon sorta of took a Tip from the Fat Albert and the Cosby kids, um, animated series that came earlier where kid and play are always trying to do the right thing and, you know, right. teach positive lessons. Well, I actually, I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, um, play was a little less responsible. Sure. But Kid was always trying to do the right thing. But at right. the end of the day, a lesson was learned. Right. And I think in that regard, I think the show delivered what it was supposed to deliver to kids. Plus feature Kid and Play's, you know, awesome music as well. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, that music was
1: definitely cash and checks. hmm And, you know, it's interesting. the Them trying to teach a good lesson, play being more responsible than Kid. That definitely fell into their personas, Mm -hmm. two guys mixing it up and uh, maybe there's some bad decision-making. But learning a lesson and turning it all around in the end, I mean, that's the House Party franchise right there.
0: Right. And there's even a character on the series called Old Blue who is sort of similar to the Mudfoot character from Fat Albert that um – Somehow I was able to send Kid on a trip back in time to the era of jazz and 1920 speakeasies for Kid to uh, better understand his musical roots. People forget what big money Kid and Play were right. back in the day. Right, exactly. Welcome to Doctor Geek's laboratory. Hello, everyone. Dr. Geek here, with a shout-out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. (laughs) Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do
1: your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting
0: the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. patreon.com backslash ESO network so Dan you know one of the things I'd like to say about the kid and play cartoon you know was the first hip hop animated cartoon created by a lot of great talents behind the scenes Uh, it wasn't necessarily successful however it did open up the genre, you know, people saw that cartoon and other studios and network executives got ideas. It's like, wow, I really like the look and feel of that Kid and Play cartoon. Maybe we can do our own animated series featuring hip hop stars.
1: Oh, absolutely. And hip hop solidly landed on Saturday morning with Hammerman 1991. Right. Uh, that was a co production right. between Deke Enterprises and Bustin Production. Uh, that'd be MC Hammer's uh, production company. Now, uh, the premise is this youth center worker named uh, Stanley Burrell, which is MC Hammer's real name for all of you uh, trivia fans out there, owns a pair of magic dancing shoes, uh, which are alive and can speak, of course. When worn, Burrell is turned into, he is transformed into Hammerman, the superhero. Frequently gets advice from his gramps, who is a former owner of the shoes and was known as Soul Man. So he has a he has a predecessor. It's like Hammerman is uh is as a superhero is, is receiving the mantle from Soul Man, I guess is what we're looking at
0: here. Yeah, Mark? Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of a lot of uh superhero lore. I was
1: gonna say the same thing, like Shazam and stuff like that.
0: So yeah, I mean like this. Handing down of the superpowers is, is is such a a great superhero trope. I yeah, mean, right.
1: You right. know,
0: you mentioned uh, Shazam. A lot of cartoons had this. There was a a series called Mitor, or even He Man. I mean, he was sure. given the sword by the sorceress right. and say, you know, and was told to do great things. Yeah. So I think it's kind of cool that you know that Hammerman used traditional superhero storyline to uh, create. His own superhero, Hammerman. Right, right. And that he even, you know, would get advice from Gramps who, if you look at Shazam, you know, Shazam would call on the old wizard for advice sometimes, right. or even the live action Saturday morning show, Billy would consult with the gods whose powers were, were represented in his power structure, you know, Solomon and Hercules and, uh, Zeus and, you know, and the rest of them, <laughs> right? It's like six guys. Yeah, it's like six. Yeah, <laughs> right, 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 right. I'm not going to name them all, so don't take points away from me, oh, please. Hey, yeah, internet, <laughs> go ahead
1: and uh, email us. Let us know whatever the rest of those mm-hmm. were. Now, what what Shazam didn't have was a child that lived around the way who constantly found herself in all kinds of hijinks that required Hammerman's strength, cunning, and ability to get her out of.
0: So Jody is sort of like Lois Lane, right? Where Lois would snoop to get the scoop and Superman would have to rescue her. Right, right. Jody on the other hand was practically the henchman in training with the crooks that would show up on the show, and the crooks would go to jail and Jody would just get a good talking to. Although yeah. technically she was helping to pull some of the switches with the evil people. And I feel like she should have been going to jail as well. Well,
1: see, that's just it.
0: Or, or at least reform school. You know, <laughs> when they finally do
1: a continuation show, Hammerman 2020, she's going to be his Joker.
0: So are you trying to say that Jodie's going to be like the new Harley Quinn? Is that what you're no, saying? No,
1: Jodie's like the new Joker.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Hammerman's the new Batman. That's what I'm <laughs> oh, saying. Oh, my
0: goodness. All right. Well, I think we're sort of getting off the topic here. But anyway, Getting back on
1: topic, mm-hmm. this show gets a lot of shade on the internet.
0: Oh, absolutely. Right. The the series was universally panned and one of the interesting things about a Saturday morning show back in the day that came out in 1991. So, all right, Dan, I want to give people a little bit of perspective please, as to please. what it was like for independent animation studios to get any type of media coverage back in the day. Yeah. Let's just say there was none. (laughs) There wasn't anything. Right. And the only reason why Hammer Man got mentioned as being a new show on the ABC lineup... Was MC Hammer. Because he was MC Hammer. That's the only reason. And when the series got canceled, which is something else that a lot of media outlets did not cover. Mm-hmm. If a Saturday morning show got canceled, there wasn't a printed article about it. But since Hammerman was so high profiled, it was mentioned that the series was canceled. Right, right. And to give you a little bit more, a little more perspective about the situation, the last time that a Saturday morning show got canceled prior to Hammer Man being mentioned in the New York Daily newspaper was when Star Trek, the animated series, got canceled yep. in the 1970s. Yep, yep. And I just felt that, because it was high-profile, a reason had to be given for why the series was canceled. But at totally. the end of the day, we'll never really know.
1: Well, if we do a post-mortem, right, if we mm-hmm. don't just, like, mm-hmm. jump on the bandwagon, which you know we're not going to do, right. if we look at the facts, one the show's been criticized, and it's been said that at some points in the production, they were doing two frames a second.
0: Yeah, that's the rumor. Two frames per second.
1: When 12 to 15 was the industry standard. Correct. Yeah.
0: So that's one issue. I mean, when I originally saw Hammerman back in 1991, of course, I was older than the the actual demographic that was watching the series, but I wanted to see. I was excited for the show. I was excited for Hammer Man. I mean, I was a fan, and I wanted to see what this cartoon was going to look like. And I was just a little shocked by it, how it looked and how it moved uh, for 1991 Saturday Morning Standards.
1: Then we have to look at, it's a joint production between Buston Productions and Deke. And we know, at least for Deke's part, they would have been uh, bankrolled by the network.
0: Correct. A lot of people like to criticize animation companies for animation. However, the networks were holding the purse strings and you could negotiate. But ultimately, it was up to the network that determined what your animation budget was going to be. and. Whatever decision was made, it was final, and that was that. And the animation studio had to figure out how they were going to make the series work with the budget that they were given. And Deke Enterprises would have definitely negotiated for Hammer Man and possibly Buston Productions.
1: I think Buston Productions' attachment to it, uh, M.C. Hammer's attachment to it, has probably what got it sold ultimately. We have to still look at the fact that Hammer himself, his production company, put up We're guessing approximately half, or at least it's joint production. So, certainly put up a a fair bit financially. I'm
0: guessing it was was half. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. I'm guessing it was half. Sure, uh, sure. But there's still other questions. Well, I
1: mean, if we look at the third fact – MC Hammer himself was everywhere at the time. Right. You couldn't escape it. He was selling you Pepsi. I think he might have been selling you shoes. He might have been selling you car insurance. He was definitely selling himself on MTV. He would show up at sporting events. MC Hammer has been criticized in hindsight as being overexposed, being everywhere at once. Would I say that? I mean, I would say he was definitely clocking in. That's for sure. Right? Right. He was definitely going. going to work every day, everybody
0: hmm for sure.
1: And, and Hammerman would have been a part of that. We know he lent his own voice. We know that there was a live-action component to the show. hmm What we don't know, in terms of the end product, what level of influence did he have?
0: Yeah, we don't know that part, but look at it this way. I'm a rapper. I'm popular. I'm talking to an animation studio, an animation studio that created Inspector Gadget.
1: The real Ghostbusters.
0: Exactly. An animation studio that has a good reputation. So as a fan and as an entertainer, I'm leaving it up to the animation studio to animate my series to their best quality. Right. And if there are any issues, I would want that animation studio to get back with me. Or if I see any issues as a rapper... I would talk to the animation studio about what I like and what I don't like and what fixes we can do to make the series as good as it can be.
1: Ideally speaking, sure.
0: Ideally speaking, but I'm not a 100% sure if this is what happened. Because the year before, Deke produced The New Kids on the Block and that series had all the bells and whistles. When I look at Hammer Man, I just have more questions. Did you ever wonder why there are 24 hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday Morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24 hour kid network. My book covers the big bang of the 1960s explosion of high ratings through the early digital age of Saturday Morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to the thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. Years and years ago, before the Best Saturdays of Our Lives was a book, it was a newsletter. And thanks to Lou Scheimer, I actually reached out to one of the executives that worked on the Hammerman series. And I was told that they were doing a lot of experimental animation.
1: Liquid Television was running concurrently with Hammerman.
0: I definitely watched a lot of Liquid Television programming. Of course sure. you
1: remember Liquid Television. You know why, Mark? Because you're cool. <laughs> so liquid television is on mtv showing everybody a really a different way that art style is subjective
0: right and that's the argument you and i've made several times right you know when i look at Hammerman, man it almost looks like early flash animation
1: thank you right i mean what 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 was south park when everybody got on their knees for that right Certainly nobody sets out to make a, a show that uh, ends up being as infamous as Hammer Man.
0: Right. And, you know, they had some really good writers working on this series. One of my right. favorite writers, Bob Forward, has always done, like, really great work. I mean, he's done a lot of – wrote a lot of episodes for He-Man and Bravestar Star. His name was all over the place during the 1980s and early 1990s. Right. Uh, but sometimes stories and characters and things just don't gel. And I I feel like the Hammerman Man series was actually going for that Fat Albert and the Cosby kids feel because it right. was always a moral lesson. And having Jodie around, you definitely needed a moral lesson. Oh, my God. That uh, obviously she was not learning every week because. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> But that's besides the point. Right. Its heart was in the right place. Right. But the execution, unfortunately, was not. But I don't think it's necessarily the rapper's fault. There are just so many other questions. And I also have to kind of point my finger at the network. Because if I am working at a network, I'm going to get to see these episodes early before anybody else sees it. All right? That's the way it works. And if I was at the network, I would have been saying, what the? What is this? Yeah. But to your earlier point, I believe that because Hammerman's name was behind it, I just think everyone really put all their <laughs> eggs in that one basket thinking, it'll still sell. It's Hammerman. It's a good brand. It's a clean brand. And all those things were true, but the network or somebody should have said, hey, you guys better go back and make some fixes, you know? And and I also agree with you that there was a lot of experimental animation going on at the time, but maybe something like that wasn't necessarily right for a kid's Saturday morning series.
1: Well, we know for a fact that exactly what Hammerman was, was totally not what anyone wanted on Saturday morning. Mm -hmm, (laughs) So... mm -hmm. You know, as the end result. Yeah. Right. Uh, I right. just think so, that, but- that MC Hammer dominating MTV and MTV giving a healthy bit of its uh, time to experimental animation. I, I, I think that the, that was an influence. <laughs> Yet the writers they had were seasoned Saturday morning writers. Right. Right. So let's take MC Hammer, which maybe many of these writers didn't understand fully. Let's just be honest. They mm-hmm. personally did probably didn't fully understand. On top of that, maybe they have a liquid television kind of aspiration without being able to like verbally or visually translate what the hell that even means to right. seasoned Saturday morning animators. You know, I think I think what we may have here, Mark, is a failure to communicate.
0: Yes. Bam. There I... it is.
1: There it is. We have figured out everybody. We didn't have to hate on Hammerman. Uh, uh. No, in defense of Hammerman, you now have your definitive conclusion on the subject.
0: There you go. Boom. There you go. Boom. But you know, Dan, I would, I would love to have Hammerman on our podcast one day, just to get his side of the story.
1: We should call MC up, dude. I'd love to talk to him about that. And I mean, I would say so many other things, but I mean, time is money. The guy is, uh, is places to be. But uh, if you would, if you'd give us 10 minutes, man, of just right. just the crumbs off his plate on that subject, MC, we're, we're asking humbly.
0: Right. Because I really feel like this series gets judged pretty harshly and yeah. people don't necessarily have all the facts.
1: I, agreed. Agreed. And you know, you and I going into this, we had the facts before us and we had the, the prevailing opinion of it. But when we first started to record this, we were like, something feels wrong you know yes saying that hammer man is this and hammer man is that there's something in our guts that just didn't feel right about that and we needed to do some research and and i'm glad i'm sure so glad we did i think mc deserved it i think all the writers involved i think everyone involved in hammer man deserved someone to just go hey wait a minute you know Mm -hmm. and yeah it really it brings up more questions than answers certainly
0: yeah. You know what it felt like after researching some of this Hammerman series? It was like you and I were defense attorneys trying to find evidence as to why people shouldn't judge this series. Why are people taking a dump it's being on it? Judged.
1: It's like, why right. is everyone taking a dump on this? Let's really, cause I've, I've seen it. We've seen it. We've all seen Hammerman. I mean, YouTube mm-hmm. and whatnot and I'm, I'm quick to hate everything mark you know that that's that's half my ip right there
0: oh so true but it's so, so an enduring part of your personality hey
1: thanks man i appreciate that <laughs> appreciate that
0: hello Have you ever wondered how much Jerry Siegel and
1: Joe Shuster sold Superman's rights to DC for? Or which uh, popular football star was Sam Wilson the Falcon's physical appearance based on? You can find all that and more at the History of Comic Books podcast, a podcast dedicated to the creators, events, history, and the companies that made the great comic book medium. Hosted and created by your friendly neighborhood, JT Wheatley. Please give it a listen at iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, and all our podcasting platforms. Thank you, and go ahead and enjoy yourself a good comic book. But now we got to talk about Yo-Yogi.
0: Yes, let's talk about Yo-Yogi. So I really feel like Yo-Yogi, the reason why that's even a series is because of the Kid and Play cartoon, which premiered on NBC a year before. Mm -hmm. So it's almost as if the powers at NBC were like, well, maybe our rap series featuring kid and play which really didn't attract a six to eleven or six to twelve demographic maybe if we do another sort of rap hip-hop show with more familiar characters like yogi bear yogi bear (laughs) 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 Mm -hmm. Uh, it's like hey where can we stick yogi bear this (laughs) decade (laughs) So, Yogi Bear has been this uh, beloved Hanna-Barbera character for a long time. And And now
1: he's hanging out in a mall.
0: Right. Now he's hanging out in a mall and he's younger, but yet some of the other Hanna-Barbera animal stars are still older. And when I look at a series like this, I'm immediately reminded of The Flintstone Kids, which flies in the face of the Flintstones proper series because of some of the origins of the characters. And since some of the characters are little in Yo-Yogi and some of the characters are adult size and I don't want my head to explode, the only way to explain this (laughs) is that it's happening in a different universe.
1: Oh, yeah. For all of you timeline purists uh, out there, uh, what we're we're getting into is... Yogi Bear as a hip-hop property.
0: Right, right. Yeah, so uh, the premise is kind of interesting, and a lot of the familiar characters are back, including Boo Boo Bear and Yogi's girlfriend, Cindy Bear, who's depicted as a 14-year-old, and they're crime fighters. And there's a lot of guest stars from the Hanna-Barbera animal universe, like McGillagorilla, who appeared on the series as a teen idol in the Jealous jam huh. <laughs> as Magilla Ice, a sort of takeoff of, of <laughs> Vanilla Ice.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Yep. And so in Yo-Yogi, they were really trying to go for the hip hop aesthetic here. And um, I'm not exactly sure if the show was super successful or not, because the following year, 1992, NBC would drop their entire Saturday morning schedule for a saturday morning version of the today show and multiple episodes of saved by the bell
1: so we really don't know what uh what fruit yo yogi would have would have would have born bared bared is that how you'd say it
0: what yogi bear would have what would have happened Uh oh yeah
1: (laughs) look we gotta talk yeah thunder talk we're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk
0: woke nerd junk
1: it's topical
0: political dare i say radical
1: we've got all your latest news and reviews
0: hot music and
1: a whole lot of comedy but it ain't for kids definitely mature content so let's talk
0: let's talk thunder talk
1: thunder talk is a proud member of the eso network
0: One of the things I have to say about uh, recording this hip-hop Saturday morning episode is that it's almost as if hip-hop was the last musical frontier Mm. to hit Saturday morning television. Yeah. I mean you had Alvin and the Chipmunks.
1: You had Josie and the Pussycats, you had the Archies, you know, rock right. and roll has been showing right. up on Saturday morning, and now it's uh you know, hip hop had its time. And I think we really don't know how that would have played out.
0: Right, exactly.
1: We don't we don't know what the end point would have been because Saturday morning itself was cut off right when hip hop was was burgeoning.
0: I- exactly. The, the interesting thing is that when hip hop finally did come to Saturday morning, it was, it was groundbreaking and it was overdue. And I feel like hip hop just followed the natural musical progression of all of the other musical genres that have been popular in this country. Ironically, the only musical genre that never really hit Saturday morning was disco. And I think that is because disco was too adult and a little too sexy for its own good to be in a kid's show.
1: No, disco's about about sexy, sexy cocaine times. <laughs> okay.
0: Although they did sneak in some disco tracks and some of the background scoring for the Chan clan and Josie and the Pussycats are out of space, but as far as it being a genre on Saturday morning, in terms of a musical group, that just didn't happen. There so hip-hop made it and disco didn't, and I think the world is all better for it.
1: <laughs> hey, we'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. Uh,
0: this is Mark McRae. And
1: this is Dan Klink saying
0: adios adios amigos the best saturdays of our lives podcast is a co-production of the best saturdays of our lives studios and the weirdos workshop to get a personalized signed copy of the best saturdays of our lives book go to the best saturdays this is mark McCrae signing off